If you guys look at my hands, you'll notice that something's missing. There's a story behind that. Don't worry, my marriage is wonderfully intact. But I'm missing my wedding ring. Um, I went on vacation with my brother's family. I was swimming in Crater Lake. Got into a water fight with my nephew. Looked at my hands, and my ring was gone. I know. I know. Our love is intact, but my ring is gone. I, I, I wanted to keep that ring. I'm telling you, I wanted to keep that ring. I wanted to pass it off to my son. He probably wouldn't have wanted it, but still. <laughs> it's funny. It's like that ring costs like 400 bucks. I would pay way more than 400 bucks to get that ring back. It's just the truth. Okay, here's, here's, here's the thing. Let's, let's do a little bit of an exercise. Got something in my pocket. All right, here it is. Bam, okay? You know what this is, right? You know what this is, right? You know. Okay, right. You, you, maybe you've seen it before. Okay, um, we're going to play a game called Let's Make a Deal. Now, one of you very, very lucky person in the room gets to trade me everything in your wallet, and I promise you I will give you what's inside this box. Okay, I promise everything in this box is yours. Okay, now who wants to play, let's make a deal with me. But I, I want you to know, once, we make, once you say yes, I'm going to make the trade, it's final. I get all the cash in your wallet, you get everything that's in the box. Okay, look at this, who is willing to? Priscilla's raising her hand, which makes me not want to call on her. Okay, um, Alan, how about you? Brother, you might need one of these pretty soon, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> How about you? How about you? Would you be willing to? He's all in. Okay, Alan, come up here. Come, uh, empty your wallet. Give me what you got. Okay, now you have to understand, I got to keep what's inside for the sake of this illustration. Give it to me. I know, but now I'm greedy. Wow, it's a lot of money. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, really? Nine... 30 bucks. I chose the wrong person. Priscilla, how much you got? I'm kidding. Okay. Okay, Alan, you get everything that's in here. This looks very enticing. You might need this, and here is nothing. Okay. I'm keeping this money. Thank you, brother. You can go ahead and sit down. Woohoo! No, seriously. I love being a pastor. Being a pastor is great. Um, now, I want you to imagine that you are Alan. I got up here. I'm talking about rings. I lost this ring. More than $400. $400 is your mind. I bring out a ring box. I'm going to give you what's inside. I didn't lie. It's alluring. He's like, wow, it's probably a ring. It's probably a ring. It's probably more than $400. He trades everything he's got for everything in here and everything in here. Nothing. Now, how is Alan feeling? He's feeling cheated. He's feeling, I gave everything in my wallet, and I got nothing in return. And that is an awful feeling, wouldn't you say, Alan? <laughs> it's an awful feeling. <laughs> awful, awful 
feeling. No, no, this feeling of like, oh my, I just, I gave everything and I got nothing in return. This is the feeling that James is going for in the next installment. We're working our way through James, every paragraph, working our way through James. And this is what James is talking about. Now, I just want you to imagine James going, look, I want you to be very thoughtful about what you're looking at in life and what you're going after. What are you going after? Everyone, in effect, is going after something and making a trade and saying, here's all my money to get this. What is the thing that you're after? Look at your desires. What are you after? And James is saying that there are a lot of things that are like empty ring boxes. They promise. They're alluring. They got you enticed. You're giving everything you got for it, and in the end, it leaves you nothing. Is that what you're doing? Right now in your life, are you going after an empty ring box? That's, that's the question. And James is like, look, I don't want any of you to fall for it. Don't fall for it. There are much better choices. And of course, it's going to be that God is always the better choice. But I got to ask you, Are you going after an empty ring box? Just think about that. And now we're going to go through the verses of James. We're going to start in verse 13. Here it is. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, uh, James wants to clarify something, and so I imagine this point is really important to James. Imagine James saying, let's just get this straight. God does not tempt people. Like, when it comes to temptation, God has nothing to do with it. God is pure. God is holy. God is the father of lights. He cannot be tempted himself, nor does he tempt people. I mean, it's very clear. Imagine James going, are we we clear on that? Now, if we take a a step back and we look at the whole picture of uh, James chapter 1, there seems to be a bigger picture explanation. Now, right there in verse 2, it tells me that God himself will test you, that he will test your faith, but he won't tempt you. So testing comes from God, but tempting does not. Now, you guys remember when you were at school and the teacher gave you an exam and the teacher gave you a midterm And if you're ready and you paid attention, then you do well. But if you sort of slacked off, then you do poorly and you fail. But no one, if they have failed the test, says that the teacher made me fail, right? I mean, you shouldn't at least, right? I mean, we say the teacher gave me a test, but my lack of discipline made me fail. In the same way, God does not tempt He tests. But what is it that makes us fail? 
What is it that is responsible for temptation? Well, that's in verse 14. So let's continue to read. But each person is tempted when he is lured. Look at that word lured. Say lured with me. That's a good word. We're going to come back to that word with an illustration. And enticed by his own desire. Say the word desire with me. Okay, that word is uh, epithumia. We're going to come back to that word. Um, but, but here, James is going right to the source. This is so relevant. Because a lot of times when we're into something that we shouldn't be into, we kind of blame God. James is like, don't go there. We tend to blame others. It's my boss. It's my spouse. It's my circumstances. And you imagine James saying, no, 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 no. That's not it. Let's go to the source of the problem. The problem is your heart. The problem is what you desire. James is like, okay, we need to focus on that. Because if it's anything that needs to be changed... It's not your circumstances, it's what's inside. So uh, this put this all together, James is like, let's get this clear. God does not tempt, he tests. God will test you, but your desires will tempt you. And what is inside you will be revealed. Okay, now it gets worse. Let's go one more verse. It's going to get even worse. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, I I want you to look at the words that James used. Um, He has enticed, that's 14. He has lured, that's 14. He has conceived, that's an interesting word to choose. He has given birth and then fully grown. So you know what James is talking about here, right? These are words that people use when someone's having an affair. I was lured. I was enticed. There was illicit sex. Someone became pregnant and conceived, right? All right, so James is using an illustration of spiritual adultery. We're going to get back to that. But it's there. It's there. There seems to be a three-step process that James is talking about. First, you are lured and enticed. And if you you give in to that, then it leads to sin. And then if sin grows, it leads to, what's that word? Death. Enticed, sin, and death. Uh, Let me try to bring this home. All right, um, how many of you guys like to go fishing? Uh, I used to go fishing a lot in Lafayette Reservoir with my dad, and uh, we were so good, we would catch bluegill, you know? But that's what we would do, and I have really fond memories of going fishing. But you know, one thing that I've never done is just looked at a fishing pole, examined the technology, and just broke it down and tried to explain it. And that's what I want to do this morning. Now, one thing you need to realize that when you're fishing uh, in the mindset of a hunter, and it's just true, fish are dumb. It, it's true. 
uh, a fish is basically a collection of appetites. Uh, a fish will see something delicious and eat it. I like that, I put it in my mouth, I swim away. That's how fish think, right? Uh, so imagine a fish is with his buddy, all of a sudden, mysteriously, there is this worm that plops right in front of them, and then the friend goes for it, and seconds later, the friend is like yanked out of the water. The fish doesn't stop and think, no, oh, what happened to my friend? And then there's another worm. He doesn't think, well, when my friend bit it, it got, he doesn't think that. He's like, delicious, got to have it, going to eat it. That's how fish think. Now, if you're a hunter, then you're using this kind of technology. This is technology, okay? We got the rod, you got the reel, and you got this, can you see this? It's invisible line. And if you can't see it, it's because it's invisible, right? So you got this invisible line, and then you have this thing at the end. Now, here, again, this is hunt, fishing technology 101. What do you put at the end of a line? You put something really attractive. Oh, don't you want that, right? You're thinking like a fish, right? You're putting some really good, delicious, enticing bait on the end of your line, and you're going for the effect where the fish look at this, and they're like, oh, I want that. Don't you want that? Don't you? Some of you are opening your mouths. You want to eat that. You want, you want, to, you want to swallow that, right? And that's what, that's what happens. It's got to look enticing. It's got to look like, I really want that. I desire this. Okay, so far you're with me, right? Now, what is going on here? Well, the best minds came together and said, what we're going to do is we're going to hide something in this bait. And you can't see it. I don't know if anyone saw it when I actually went around. The, you didn't see it. But what you see is like brilliant technology. Do you guys, can you see? I don't know if you can see this, but you see that that is what you call a hook. Now, this is a snare. This is a hook. It's hidden in the bait. So the fish looks at the bait, swallows, he goes, oh, I want it, I want swallows it, and then when there's tension, the hook is revealed. Now, hooks are designed to go into the flesh, but very hard to get out. That, that's a very simple definition of addiction right now. It's very easy to get into, very hard to get out. And it's, it's the barb at the end. It's easy to go in, very hard. To, so it, it, it pokes a hole through the cheek of the fish. Easy come out, very, very, very hard to go out. Easy, easy go through, very hard to go out. Okay, so now the, the fish swallowed it. The hook has set. It's pulling against the cheek. The, uh, the fisherman knows what's going on here because it's twitching. And then there is this fight, this fight like this. Now, there's a lot of people in our congregation today, and you're in this fight. And if you give in, this is how James says sin grows it will lead to death. For the fish, it means you're yanked out of the water, you suffocate, or you're smacked on the floor. And this is exactly what James is talking about right here in this passage. You are enticed. You give in and you get hooked. And then if you continue to give in, it leads to death. 
Now, uh, I need to give you an example of how this is true. And uh, forgive me, I, I'm just, I, just, I just want you to know that this text is really relevant. You guys, this is exactly how porn works. It, I'm not kidding you. There's bait. And the bait looks really good. It's like right in front of you. It's so accessible. You just go to your computer, click, click, and you're there. And it's making promises. Like, you invest in me, and you're going to have a great time. You're going to feel this release. No one will know. It, it's, it's how porn works. But, but, but no one, when, they, when they, they engage in porn, they're not thinking about the hook. There is this hook. And, and that, that hook, it, it's an addiction. It's easy to get in. It's really hard to get out. You find yourself a couple days later going back again and then going back again, and then going back again, and then going back again. And there is this epic fight, and you want to get unhooked, but you can't. It was so easy to get in, and it's so hard to get out. Now, once the hook is set, and there's this fight, and ultimately, if we don't get unhooked... There's a reality here that James is bringing out, which is that it leads to death. Now, we all need to know this. Um, This happens a lot where, because porn is very secretive, there's a lot of shame, and so you don't get help. And in that shame, you just go deeper, and you're trapped, and the hook is set, and there's this fight, and you just give in, and you give in. And what's happening, it's like, I do it, I say, sorry, God, and then I do it again, sorry, God, and then I do it again, sorry, God, and at some point, there's so much shame, and I'm not getting help, that I I just stop saying sorry, because I know I'm going to do it again, and so I don't even say sorry, and there's this breach in my relationship with God, and then it just keeps getting wider and wider, You, you see how it leads to spiritual death, but then there's more, this is the hook, this is what people don't really say, you get married, and it, I mean, I'm not going to go into graphic detail, but it will compromise your sexual intimacy with your spouse. It just will. You want details? We can talk about that offline. And then maybe you're a guy, and one day you have a daughter, and your daughter comes of age. This is the hook. It will kind of mess with your relationship with your daughter. She will come of age, she'll be attractive, and it's just, ugh. And so there's a way, you don't want to go there. Now, I just want you to imagine, you know, James going, don't fall for it, don't fall for it. And if you're in, we need to get you unhooked, no shame, get help. And by the power, by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you can be unhooked and you will have a song to share with other people about how awesome God is. But get help and don't let shame cover you and that you go and let the hook just sink deeper in. I mean, this is real stuff. James is talking about real stuff and he's saying, do not fall for it. It leads to death. All right, let's do another one. Again, I'm trying to show you that what these verses are really relevant 
this relates to real life. I want to give you another example, but uh, we have to take a closer look at one word. It's in verse 14 and 15. It's the word desire. Now, I pointed this out before. It's the word epithumia. It's in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, epithumia. Then desire, epithumia, when it has conceived, gives birth to death. This is a really interesting word, epithumia. Here in the ESV, it's desire. In other uh, translations, it's lust. It's a very nuanced word, but you can make much of this word, desire, epithumia. Let me hear you guys say epithumia. Now, here's the reason why lust and desire uh, may not really, well, this word just needs to be unpacked. Just saying that can be a little bit misleading. Because if I say desire in this context, or if I say lust, you're immediately thinking it's wanting something bad. But no, 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 no. Epithumia, if you blow up the word in the Greek, it's not a desire for something bad. It's a desire for something good, but wanting it too badly. Sin is defined not as wanting a bad thing, but it's wanting a good thing too badly. It's an over-desire for a good thing. Now, let me give you an example. Achievement and success is not a bad thing. But if you want it too badly, if you have an over-desire for it, then it will give birth to sin, and when it has become fully grown, it will leave you with nothing. And here is the warning in James. Now, again, I got to say this very carefully, because I think a lot of people can relate to this. Achievement and success is not a bad thing. You guys hear me say that? It's the over-desire for it. It's the being defined by it. It's that sense like if I don't have it, I'm nothing and no one. Now a lot of us have, I have that. A lot of us have that. And and the, the, the trick is, how can I have, how can I live in a world of success but keep my heart defined and pure by God? That's hard. When, when my father came to America, I mean, I give this to my dad, he was so clear about what he was about. I mean, he came from Taiwan, and he came here with a dream to succeed. He was all about that. He got a master's degree in engineering. He bought a five-bedroom house. He got a job at a well-known firm. Now, it, it's interesting, my uncle... Uh, my father's brother, ironically, my uncle wanted to be an artist. And my dad convinced my uncle not to be an artist, but to be a dentist, because a dentist will make money and people will respect you. And so my father, like, gave him one of these talks. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you know, shaking. You should do this, right? 
And so the interesting part is like later on, when I wanted to be a, a pastor and my uh, uncle was working all my teeth so I couldn't respond, he just gave me like 30 minutes of vocational counseling advice, unsolicited. And then at the end, he said, your dad gave me that same talk and I'm giving it to you. My dad would take us to church, but he was really clear about where God stood in his life. Like one day I came back and I was really excited. Like, I want to get baptized. And my, my dad and my mom were basically, ah, you know, a little bit of religion is good, but don't become like a crazy Christian. You know, don't be, be a fanatic. A little bit is good, but don't go crazy with God. My dad would work hard all day long, and then he would come home, barely have time for dinner, and all of the evening was spent like just practicing English because he came to the States and he wanted to succeed. He was about the dream. He was about achievement. He, he was about that. That's, that's what my father stood for. He was defined by it. But then something crazy happened. One day, my father came back from BART, and he couldn't find his car. Weird. And he was forgetting projects at work. My mom took him to the doctors, and he was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. One year later, my father was lying in bed. There was nothing to do but reflect. He was a self-made man. He defined himself by his achievement and his success. And now, as the cancer was eating away at his body, he was in a place where, all my life, it's achievement and success. What does it mean now? What, what, is, what does that mean? It means nothing now. It's, it's all that, all that, nothing. And, and it left him empty. The promotion that he worked so hard, he couldn't take that with him. It didn't mean anything to him on his deathbed. The corner office that he had, it, didn't, it, just, it left him empty. Now, I'm so thankful for this next part. One of his friends from a church came over and would read the scripture to my father. And during one of those times, my father gave his life to the only thing and the only person who really mattered for all of eternity. He gave himself to Jesus. And then shortly after that, he passed away. You guys, we have a lot to learn from my dad. You don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed to see what he saw. I mean, imagine my dad saying, don't fall for it. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't have dreams. But don't let this define you. Don't make this your first pursuit. Make God and his glory and loving other people and giving yourself to God and his purposes. Make that your first pursuit. But don't fall for it. If you chase after that dream of success, it will leave you empty in the end. God is the better choice every time. God is the better choice every time. Now, I got to say, I'm in a church where we have amazing leaders who are in a world of success. And I, 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 I know you guys, 
We have leaders who have hearts that are pure, who love God, who serve, who love other people, who invest in other people. Yes! I want to encourage you guys. Yes, that's the race you're running. I know you could take all that extra time and work on something else that would pad your resume and get you further ahead in the dream for success. But every gesture, every act of love, every leadership position that you give to serving God, to loving him and serving others, is it worth it? Yes. And, uh, and I'm proud to be serving alongside you guys. And let's keep on going. But I want to say this. I know that it's hard. I know that it's not easy. I know that it seems like the bait is right there, always in front of you. And it's so alluring and it's so enticing. I know. So how do we not chomp onto that? How do we not go for that? How do we say no to stuff like porn? How do we say no to stuff like chasing after success and achievement? How do we be successful without being defined by that success? How do we do that? Well, I would say this. I can't think of a better way to get unhooked than this. I can't think of a better way to end the message than this. In fact, if there's one thing I want you to get from this message, it's this. But give me a little bit to explain it. Do you remember the observation that James was giving, which conveys spiritual adultery? He uses the word entice and desire and conceive and give birth. And, and so clearly, he's talking about spiritual adultery. Now, I think if we go back to that illustration, it gives us the resolution. So stay with me here. My wife works as a professional counselor. And she told me that normally when men want to have a divorce, like not all the time, but most of the times, when the the husband is initiating a divorce or wanting a divorce, her observation is that most of the times it's because the men are having an affair on the side. They, They have like a mistress. So, so, in other words, people normally will not say no to, to something, and that's it. Normally, the way the human heart works is you say no because you have a better yes. You're willing to sacrifice because you feel like there's going to be a, a better payoff, right? The, the human heart is not meant for no, 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 no. It's meant for like, no, not going to fall for that because I see the hook There's a better yes right there for me. I'm choosing that. That's how the human heart works. Now, if this is true for a mistress, then the other way works works, uh, even better. So how do you cut off a mistress with a hook and a snare that leads to death? Well, you fall in love with your true spouse. It, It makes perfect sense. The best way to say no to sexual sin, the best way to say no to chasing after the approval of others or success in the eyes of the world and being defined by that, the best way to say no is by saying, I'm not falling for that. I got something way better in Christ. Way better. That's that's how we get unhooked. 
The human heart is meant to chase after something. Give it something really ultimately satisfying to chase after. And then it will naturally unhook. Francis Chan tells the story of a wedding he officiated. It was a couple who were in their 50s and they were getting married. And Francis at the time was running a mega church. And so he had no time, you know. But this was such a special couple that he's like, I got to officiate their wedding. I got to say yes. And so he's meeting with them. Um, Her name is Jean, and the man's name is Rick, and they're doing premarital counseling. And and then in that counseling, Jean says, you know, look at me. I have so and she was like well into her 50s. Look, I have so many wrinkles, you know. I have so many wrinkles and I'm so old. And then the man was looking at her going, no, those are like dimples to me, you know? So it's that kind of a couple, right? Those are like dimples to me. And then she says, but you don't understand, Rick. And she's saying this. She, she had a daughter with a developmental disability. So she had a body of a 30-year-old but the mind of a 60-year-old. And her name was April. But he said, you don't understand. You know, I mean, you take, you take me, you, you commit to me, you're committing to April. And it's just difficult. And, and so you see why Francis is like, you know, I, want, I need to officiate this. You know, I want to marry this couple. They're a special couple. So during the wedding ceremony, after the vows that, that Rick and, and, and Jean make, uh, Rick sort of gets up there and says, actually, well, you know, I have another ring to present. And this is a ring for April because today I'm not only committing to Jean as my wife, but I'm committing to April as my daughter. Now, at this moment, you know, they're up here and April is right here, okay? And again, she's like a 30-year-old woman with a 6-year-old mind. And when she hears that she gets a ring, she just flips you, and she starts running like, and she starts hugging Rick like, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, right? And this is happening. And you, everyone is crying. Even Francis Chan said, I was crying. We were all bawling. It was such a beautiful moment. And at that moment, he says, don't you understand? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that's just being illustrated to you. We have God as our father and Jesus as our true spouse. And it, we're just like Gene. We're like, I'm old. I got wrinkles. I got sin. You know, I got broken. And Jesus dies on that cross. So he can forgive us of all our sin, all our shame, gone. Because he is committed to us as our true spouse. That's Jesus. That's what you have. And then here is God the Father saying, I, I, I know you're 40 years old in body and you have the, the spiritual maturity of a six-year-old. I know. But I am committed to you as, 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 as your father. And we're just like, oh, <laughs> you know, our most appropriate response for that kind of father, I love you, I love you, I love you, I can't believe you've chosen me, this is the best. Why would we ever settle for anything else when we have God as our father and Jesus as our true spouse? Why would we ever settle for a bait with a nasty hook that's going to lead us to death? 
when we have Jesus Christ. So James is like, you guys, I love you. Don't fall for it. Whether it's porn, whether it's success, whether it's whatever, don't fall for it. What you have in God is always better. God is always the better choice. Pray with me. Father, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced, just because I know it in my own heart, that there's many of us here and we're in the fight. We're in the struggle. And I pray that you would just bring clarity to our minds and clarity to our hearts just to know that you are always the better choice. You are always the better choice. We have a true love in Jesus. We have a true Father in God. And you are always the better choice. Father, for for many of us, that hook is set so deeply, we need nothing less than resurrection power for you to unhook us. But I pray that there would be no shame in this message. I pray that there would be no shame, but just trust that we would say, Jesus, please unhook my heart so it chases after you alone because you alone are worthy to be pursued, loved, and cherished. In your name we pray.